0: I think I was up in Maine when I got the plan for the fall on what the schedule would be for the lectionary, and uh, I was asked for today to deal with Jacob and Esau, and uh, I've been fascinated and frustrated by that story forever, and so I thought it an interesting challenge to see what I could do with it and what you think about it and where we can go with it, but, I think it's very important to realize that these stories are not necessarily a recording of history. They're a recording of people and how they react and how we relate to one another. And it's one of those things that's, that's true and not true. We have no way of tracing back to that time, but we can trace back that the human feelings run deep and long and across all time. And help us understand life, and hope, and grace. What we're looking at is a family system. And family systems are thought a lot about. And in treatment and psychology, uh, we look at the family system because the one person is is the product of a system. And the behavior and the conduct comes out of the milieu uh, often times in which that person is nurtured in which we come and and uh, and yet it is amazing to see how god works in and through them and us then and now now looking at the text i envy dan because he's got more time in that bible study <laughs> and i got to take 8 chapters and try to put it in 10 minutes and try to make it comprehensible now, if I get lost, some of you who really know the story, way well, you know, uh, correct me, because right? it's it's easy to kind of lose names and get uh, uh, cornered here. So I ask your your guidance. And I probably might have been easier if I had a PowerPoint, but I don't know how to work those things. So, <laughs> or put a chart in. So you're going to have to depend on my uh, ability at trying to be a storyteller. But it's a fascinating story because Isaac, of course, was the son of Abraham and he'd had his problems with his father. And who knows how he overcame that. And then when he met Rebekah, why, she was barren. And that was intolerable for a woman to be barren. She had to deliver a son. And so uh, Isaac went to God and prayed that she could and he did and she was. And, and But the problem was like all any of you who have been pregnant know a lot better than we old men, uh, that carrying that life can be a challenge, and particularly if you've got two to carry. And we have a lot of studies now in psychoanalysis that, that what happens in the womb is frequently something that predicts what's going to come in the world. And sure enough, uh, Rebecca was, uh, went to God, and this is interesting. She talked to God, and God talked to her. And uh, he said, well, you know, she said, it it isn't worth this suffering. And he said, well, uh, you know, just be aware that what you're seeing there is what we see in the world, of two nations set against each other. And sure enough, when the twins came, and um, she probably didn't know she was going to have twins, uh, one was, uh, was Esau, the older, the hunter, the ruddy one, the hairy one, and Jacob was the other one who clutched the heel, and uh, quickly they became favorites of the parents. Uh, Isaac for, uh, for Esau and uh, Rebekah for Jacob. And, and Esau was a hunter. And he went out on the hunt. And one time he was out long on the hunt and was delayed in getting back. And when he came back he smelled that Jacob, the more house one, was cooking some stew and it smelled so good. He said, give me it or I perish. And Jacob said, well you can have it if you'll give me your birthright. You know, in those times, the oldest one got all the deal, and the second one was out of it, primogenitor. And Esau said, well, you know, I'm going to die anyway, so I might as well give it away and then at least have a meal before I do. And, uh, and then uh, uh, Isaac liked what Esau did in the hunt. He could bring in good game, and he And and Rebecca heard him say, now go out there and get a good bit of game and come back and make me a good stew. And Rebecca overheard this, and so she cooked up a deal and said to Jacob, you know, I think we can, I think we can, your father's nearly blind, so I've put a skin on so you feel like the hairy Esau, and then you wear some of his clothes so you smell like the hunt. The old man won't know the difference, and And, you know, just ask for his blessing and get away with it. And uh, the old man wasn't... He may have been blind, but he wasn't quite as daft as they had hoped. And he said, you don't sound like Esau. But the stew smelled good. And so uh, Esau said, well, no. Uh, Jacob said, uh, now give me your blessing. And so the old man relented and put the blessing on Esau. And then, uh, sure enough... Esau, Esau came in with the game to make the stew and realized the deception that the mother had perpetrated and the rage that he had at how the father had been duped and he'd been cheated out of his proper place. Jacob had to flee town. He had to get away fast, and so uh, Rebecca, never being at a loss for some way to work it out, had a brother in the far place and so sent him off to Laban. And it so happened that Laban had two interesting daughters, Leah and and, uh, Rebecca, and Rachel. And uh, when, when uh, Jacob came, he fell in love immediately with the younger one. And now that's a disaster, because you've got to marry the older one first. So Laban said, if you work for me for seven years, I'll set you up with her. And so he did, and, and had the wedding day. But lo and behold, on the wedding night, who should he unveil but the older sister who was homely? And, and he was enraged, so he went back to Laban and said, How could you do this? Of course, you know, deception is in the, in the air around all of this stuff. And uh, he said, Well, work for me for another seven years, and I'll set you up. And, and, and uh, uh, she was so lovely. Rachel was so lovely that she was worth another seven years, so he did it, and then, as the time came, why well, he was a good herdsman, so they had a lot of stock and uh, so, we, so he went to Laban and said, okay it 's time for me to go home uh, let 's divide it up and, and uh, so he uh, made a deal with Laban well we 'll divide the, the flock i 'll take the you know the ring streaked and speckled, and, and you can have the plain but what Laban forgot was that uh, uh, Jacob knew how to f- f- affect the genetics so the ones that came would be ring-streaked and speckled. And so, lo and behold, when they came to the time to divide, uh, Jacob had quite a flock, and and uh, Laban had a smaller one, but they made a deal, and so... But Jacob didn't want to wait for the party to leave. They fled to get away, and then when... when uh, uh, and and he was going out while uh, 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 Rachel stole the family gods, and uh, but then uh, they came after him and looked for them, and uh, they hunted everywhere for them and, and in rage. And she said, "Well," and she knew enough that to try to hide them, so she put them in a sack underneath. And and uh, then uh, uh, they looked everywhere, and she said. She was sitting on them and said, well, I'm in my womanly way, so I can't get up. And, and so they said, well, okay, so she, she kept the gods. But the interesting part, though, was when, that I had to get my story around here a little bit, when, when, when Jacob was going to go to Laban and understanding and knowing and fearing what he would find and what would happen and feeling ostracized and all the struggle. One of the things that took place was he was sleeping out in the along the way fearful and, and, and concerned that suddenly in the night they had a dream of the angels. You know the story. You've heard it of angels ascending and descending and he felt God was beside him. And then uh, Jacob said I think a lovely line. And this is good whenever you're, whenever you're lost or wherever you're in trouble to just to, to pause and allow the grace of God to work and, and he said surely God was in this place and I didn't know it. And so he set up this pillar at Bethel which it became a very, it was a very sacred place. So he went into this ever a sense that God was with him in the midst of all this chaos and confusion. But then when he fled Laban he had to take his family and try to go home but he was worried about Esau. And so when he came anywhere near the uh, place they heard that his brother was coming with 400 men. And he was terrified because his brother could wipe him out. So cagey as he was, he separated his wives and put one, one way and one another. So he, if he lost one, he still had another. But before they, before his, if he came to his brother, he went off by himself in Dibba to try to contemplate what was coming. And there, as you see on the cover of your bulletin, that's Doré's picture of, of the, him wrestling with the angel and wrestling with God or whatever it was. And so he, he uh, had this wrestling match. And, and it was coming toward morning, and, and the angel said, let me go. He said, I won't let you go without a blessing. And so he touched him. But then he said, but tell me your name. And he said, who are you? And he said, I'm... Jacob, he said, no, no longer are you Jacob, you're Israel, because you have struggled with God and prevailed. And so uh, Jacob turned to him, and, and then he felt the blessing. Now, I never thought of this before, but I love it, because what Jacob had asked for was a name. He wanted to identify it, you know, pretty logical to the mind. But what he got was a blessing. And when we come near and, and, and try to experience of God, it isn't just thinking about it, it's feeling it. It's feeling the presence of God so that he could go then stronger as he met his brother. And I love the fact that when, when he met him, his brother came to him and, and embraced him and they both wept. He wasn't there to kill. And and Jacob said, "But Esau said, what are you going to do with all this stuff? He said, it's a gift for you. You know, he'd stolen so much, he figured he had to pay off. And and, and yet, uh, he said, no, I got plenty. What a lovely thing to say. I have enough. If only in our time people would say, I have enough. And then, when Jacob looked at Esau, he said, when I look." In your face, I see the face of God. And you know what it was? He was looking in the face of forgiveness, which is love. What an amazing thing it is, rather than bear resentment to work through as he did whatever it was so he was gratified and satisfied to see and love because he felt forgiveness he felt love and then Paul was dealing with this in Corinthians and he said you know Just remember, don't get puffed up. Don't get carried away. Don't boast of what you have, but think of what God has given you. Mind of God's grace. And that's lifted up a lot in the affirmation that you'll use a little later. But where do you see God? Where do you understand and find him? In the most amazing, unexplained and unexplicable ways, there is that appearance here. But I think it's usually we come into this encounter of the divine when we are caught in awe and awareness, or as the Buddhists say, when we're awake. When we're able to, to wrestle within without fear of facing and seeing who we are, as well as the world is. This summer, um, I had a delightful experience reading a book that uh, Claire Dunn did on Carl Jung, the Wounded Healer of the Soul. And it was such a pleasure because I've studied some of Jung and appreciate Jung, but what I liked is he was a contemporary Jacob. He wrestled with God he wrestled with that which was within him he wrestled with the darkness and the light and he saw how they all blended together and 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 he felt the blessing and he blessed others because he had suffered and he had tried and when we're looking at the dysfunction of our society in our own time with the tension and distress and Distrust and disdain and the fear of systems gone awry. How do we get a hold of where God is? How can we wrestle with our time? How can we confront it and find something of, of what the message is that, that of God's love and care and compassion and forgiveness so that we operate out of a new milieu? This sermon isn't over till Tuesday night at 10 o'clock. <laughs> I want you to turn in to Channel 13 on, at 9 o'clock on Monday and 9 o'clock on Tuesday because public television is presenting a program uh, on Half the Sky, the book that Nicholas Kristof and his wife did in the world. And if you want to see the face of God, you just look at that. You will see in the way, and Nicholas Kristoff is really one who knows how to do that, but he's such a way of helping understand and and, uh, I'm not going to put a benediction on you till Tuesday night. (laughs) So you watch and look and and see some of that and see where it is. And and, and Krista Tippett's another one. She talked to, to one this morning who talked about space and place and how we see God and they're talking about the presence of God in the great cathedrals because there's something that comes in about the beauty for example of this place but we're called upon now to do some radical revisioning of where we see god and how we engage but god is always engaged with the vulnerable and the forgotten and the lost god doesn't want to leave anything left behind but wants to sweep us up in a way that that only is demonstrated in the compassion and care of our Lord and of the saints that followed who caught it up. Now there's a story I you probably all know, but I gotta put it here because it fits. Do you know the difference between heaven and hell? That, uh, they're all the same. In heaven and hell there's a marvelous banquet. And people are sitting before the bounty of a table beyond anything you could imagine. And in hell, they're starving. And in heaven, they're having a glorious celebration with everybody gathered at the table and eating and laughing and singing. But you know what the problem was? None of them had any elbows. In hell, they starved to death because they wouldn't feed each other. In heaven they rejoiced because they could feed each other and be nourished and embrace one another in 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 another sense. Now, can you practice that compassion that he has shown in our connections in our society? The question I would ask you before you go to the polls on November 6th Is where are you seeing compassion, and if not, why not? And after that, how do we apply compassion to the ills and perils and dysfunction and disaster of our world and of our societies? How do we bring them about? The story of Jacob and Esau is a story of radical reconciliation. And you know, if I remember Paul in another part of that gospel, he said, you are agents of reconciliation." God was in Christ in you, bringing us together so that we sense our our connectedness as a family and a faith and a fellowship. You see, your baptism brought you to the table and your confirmation gave you the privilege to live out and share compassion. Even when it hurts. Even when it's misunderstood. Even when it seems so far from the truth. Rebecca said, God, why are you doing this? And he said, I'm unleashing the world. But in Christ, he unleashes us to be his children who care for one another as only one who forgives and loves can do. Amen.